Hey church, Pastor Cody here, and I just want to say thank you for stopping by and joining us in worship today. And while we're super excited that you're hanging out with us for this message, we also want to remind you that this is really just um, a supplemental resource that cannot and will not replace the local church. So while um, we're, we're glad that you're here, while we're glad that you're encouraged and, and, and uh, challenged and shaped by the Word of God that's being preached today, we also want to um, let you know that this is really just a substitute and in no way should forsake the uh, gathering together of the local church body. We believe that the local church is God's plan A in speaking the gospel. So please come hang out with us here at rest um, this Sunday morning with us or um, go find another Bible-believing church. Jesus is preparing the church um, that's close to you um, and he's challenged you to get plugged in there. Um, Jesus loves the church and we love Jesus and we believe that we can love Jesus better by being locally connected and serving her well. So um, just jump right in with us and we're glad you're here. (laughs) Y'all gotta stop that. Yeah, you know, first words, right important. I didn't know how that was gonna go, but first words in a pulpit like in a stage like this is y'all got to stop that so, um, I'm Carl uh, we met earlier if you didn't know me um, yeah I just want to start this off just by saying I don't want to speak for CJ but I'm going to speak for him we are honored humbled to even be thought of to do this and CJ I just want to say to you that you have been an inspiration to me I can't think of a soul more worthy of this um, your faith that you have shown to me through the last two years. You befriended me. One of the first friends I met here at rest was CJ. Made, had some conversations out there in the stairway. I remember them. I remember to this day. Um, and I'm honored to be standing beside you for this. So, <clears throat> so um, yeah, imagine you're on an airplane. Imagine you're on an airplane. Yeah. Um, you just, you just left the gate, taxiing down, you know, taxiing to the runway. Right? And you know, there's that time on the airplane where you make that turn, and the pilot hits the engine, and up you go. Right? Point of no return. No getting past that. And at that point in time, the pilot comes on and says, uh, Ladies and gentlemen from the cockpit, just want to let you know some exciting news. About 20 minutes ago, ooh, I didn't do that. about 20 minutes ago, I got my pilot's license. And that's where you find yourself today. That's where we are today. <laughs> that's where you are. It's going to be bumpy. Hopefully we'll stick the landing. So last week, uh, first of all, we are in week 28 of our study in Romans. Uh, today we're going to talk about uh, the doctrine of justification. Um, and, and Paul is actually going to use... Another figure that he used Abraham last week. We're going to recap last week in just a minute. He's going to use David today. Everybody knows about David. One of Israel's greatest kings. um, Started out as a shepherd boy, that kind of thing. We'll get to that later. But last week, Pastor A.B. talked about Abraham. We did a speed date on Abraham. We're going to do another speed date later with with David. But if you remember Abraham, right? He started off as a pagan. He trusted God. Moved his family. Hit a famine. Doubted God. Went to Egypt. Gave his wife away, 
literally, gave his wife away. Pharaoh actually married his wife. Um, God intervened, um, brought him back out of Egypt. God intervenes, brings him back out of Egypt, back into the land that God said he was going to give him. Um, then he had issues with his nephew Lot, <clears throat> ended up giving his land away. Then um, his wife, Sarah, and he concocted this scheme to get around God, and they produced a child named, with, with Hagar that he brought up out of Egypt, produced a child, Ishmael, a lot of drama there. Go, go to the Middle East, walk around, that's your drama. Um, doubted God again, gave his wife away a second time, and just this picture of drama, picture of drama. We can't get it right. But yet, when God talks about Abraham in Hebrews chapter 11, when God talks about Abraham in Romans chapter 4, he didn't mention a word of that. He says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. He believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. So, as, as Pastor A.B. said last week, you, when it comes to God, when it comes to your spiritual faith, you can have your works, or you can have God's work, but only one works. You can have your works, you can have God's work, but only one works. And regardless of where you sit, you only get justification one way. Justification, big word, just as if I haven't, I've never sinned. A.B. talked about that last week. Um, and that's how Abraham came to God. He believed God. I didn't do that. <laughs> that was not me. I haven't touched it. Um, and when it comes to God, when it came to God, when God looked at Abraham, Abraham's heart, Abraham's faith meant more than Abraham's behavior. That's all the way it is always with God. So as we turn to week 28, um, we talked about the doctrine of justification again. We're going to paint that picture between works and grace. And so I just want to start with, you know, simple. Um, have you ever, you know, have you ever worked hard at something? Anybody ever done that? Worked hard? Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's um, something at work, um, a business, whatever. You worked really hard at it. You feel like you're spinning your wheels. Sometimes it goes really well. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes you're very successful. Sometimes you fail. But in all of this, right, you're putting your effort into it. You're putting your time into it. You're putting your money. You, you understand that, right? Everybody's done that. We've all, you know, those of us who work a job, we've done that. We understand this. Um, we live in a performance culture. We live in a performance culture. Okay? And in our performance culture, today's performance has to be better than yesterday. That's the world we live in. That's the world I live in. When I go to work in the morning, you know, that's my life. Today's performance has to be better than yesterday, and tomorrow's has to be better than today. And if it's not, I risk losing it all. I, I, I risk that every day. So we get that in some form or fashion in our lives. We get the concept of performance. There it says performance culture is a high pressure, and it's all on you. You can only be as good as today as the performance has to be better than yesterday's. If not tomorrow's performance, it isn't better than today's. You stand a real chance of losing it all. The dangerous reality is, 
Because that's so ingrained in us. That's so part of who we are. The dangerous reality is, is that it's easy to let that, that culture, shape our beliefs. And when we do, it's easy to forget that God has a different picture involved there. Um, when you let it shape your beliefs, rather than trusting God's Word to define your theology, if you, if you let God's Word define and shape your beliefs, that can shape your culture, and then how we behave in it is affected. So, if you let, so rather than let the culture shape your beliefs, we need to let God shape our beliefs through His Word. So today, as we get into the text, we're going we're gonna to let Scripture talk to us. We're going to let Jesus teach us. And hopefully, we'll be on board with the Holy Spirit as He changes us. So if you turn over your Bibles to Romans chapter 4, verses 4 through 8. Um, we're going to read that. We get up on the screen, we're going to read it. <clears throat> now to the one who works... His wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one, who, of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we love you. We thank you. Um, we ask, Lord, that you would um, show up here in this room. Um, speak to us today through your word. Um, open our eyes so that we can see what you, what, who you are. Open our ears so we can hear you. And please give us the courage to respond to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So God's word is amazing. Um, it's complete, direct, informative life-changing, understandable, and relatable. That passage, to me, is really relatable. That first part, anyway. If you go back to verse 4, it says, Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as due. Um, yeah, so, a little bit of backstory, right? I, my general crowd is uh, young adults and, and teenagers, so I ask a lot of questions. I apologize for that up front. So, how many in the room work a job? <laughs> okay. How many in the room work a job outside the home? Let me say that again. Let me back that up. Okay. So, you go to work, right? You clock in, badge in, whatever that looks like, and you stay there for two, three, four, six, whatever hours, right? Maybe, maybe you're on the clock, you get paid by the hour. Maybe you're on salary, you get paid regardless of how much you work. But at the end of the day, at the end of the week, whatever, you get paid, right? You get paid. Fun times, right? You get paid. And then, you know, you pay your taxes and you pay your benefits and then you realize you don't have any money and then you go get a second job, right? Generally. But you get paid. That pay, that pay is not a gift. That pay is what you've earned, right? Those wages you've earned, you are legally entitled to them. The company is morally responsible to give those to you. Because you've earned them. It's not a gift. They're, they're morally obligated to pay you for those. They're an obligation. So we all get this. We live this every day. 
And as we are people, as we are physical people, with, with, with you know, we, we have a, a physical side, we have a psychological side, we have an emotional, you, know, you can name the list, and it all fits. That model fits. When you turn that model to your spiritual side, it stops fitting very quickly. Because, <clears throat> because when it comes to your relationship with God, Scripture says that our works, our good works, and he's talking about good works, not talking about your sinfulness, he's talking about your good works, the good things you do, are like polluted garments. Polluted garments. That comes from Isaiah 64.6. Um, read that sometime today when you get a chance. And when you pair that with Romans 6.23, which says the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. So that tells you God's obligation to you for your works is death. They're horrible to Him. So if you think about this, right? So as, as anyone, if you got kids, right? Um, you know, your kids at some point, my daughter, you know, will make chocolate chip cookies, right? And she'll be proud of them and she'll put them on a plate and she'll bring them because you know, she knows dad loves chocolate chip cookies. All right? she loved, loved, actually, I, my favorite is oatmeal raisin, but I'll take the chocolate chip cookies. All right? That's my favorite is oatmeal raisin, but I'll take the chocolate chip cookies. I'll take them. All right? So they're on a plate, and I look down, and I'm like, so this is, this is my little girl, right? This is my little girl. She's bringing it to me, right? And, and, you know, and I look down, and I'm like, oh, that's so beautiful. And it, it would not matter if it, if it tasted horrible. I'd eat the chocolate chip cookie. She's never made, cho- she's never made horrible chocolate chip cookies, though. I'll say that. That's a good work. She's done something good for dad. Right? She's done something good for dad. Right? When we do that for God, it doesn't work that way. We take our good works on a plate to earn his approval, to earn his favor. They look like polluted garments to him. You will never earn God's approval with your behavior, ever. To earn a relationship with God, to earn that, how that looks, if you were to earn your relationship with God, you would have to be born sinless. Born sinless. You would have to live a a sinless life for the entirety of your life. And unfortunately, we're doomed the minute we take our first breath, which makes, makes us immediately sinful. Then on top of that, we continually choose to sin. And since God is holy... He can't be in the presence of sin. We've got an eternal problem. Right off the bat. Right off the bat. Your wages are owed to you. God owes you for your wages. And what he's obligated to give you is death. So if you only hear one thing from me today, hear this. You'll never earn your place at God's table. It's a problem you can't solve and a debt you can't pay. But the good news is it doesn't start, stop there. It starts there, but it doesn't stop there. If you turn to, page, to verse 5, read verse 5, it says, And the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. So back in verse 4, Paul takes that well-known concept of that, that's in every culture, working for someone, earning a wage, then he links it spiritually to the concept 
of justification by faith. So, when you look at that verse and you read it, it says, Paul, Paul now says, Paul, Paul now sets the one who tries to work his way to God against the one who believes in him to justify And you, all, you notice in that, who is doing the justification? You're not justifying yourself. God is. God is the one who is doing the justification. And you also, if you think about it, you notice when. <clears throat> and to the one who does not work but believes in, in him who justifies the ungodly, in the one who justifies the ungodly. So, you've done nothing to achieve it, you've done nothing to earn it, and God yet justifies you anyway, by your faith. His faith is counted as righteousness. So, when someone comes to God in faith, in faith alone, in Christ alone, they are given, they are given a new status before God. They become a child of God. There's no component of works that causes this to happen. It is solely by God's grace alone. And then if you remember Abraham, righteousness was credited to him. He didn't earn it. But because he believed God as a child would believe his dad, he received God's grace, and with that, an eternal relationship with God. And the rest of the story from Romans 6.23, we read that earlier, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And in that, your identity is either your sin or your Savior. That's your choice. And, and the, beauty of, the beauty of the gospel, seriously, the beauty of the, of the Bible, a lot. The Bible's a big book. It's a big, thick book, right? And sometimes you get some complicated stories. Sometimes you get some stories that are so complicated because we don't understand the culture. We don't understand what they were going through. We don't understand their mindset. We don't get it. We, we live today. They lived then. But so many times in the Bible, God takes those really complicated things and he gives you two options. Two. Right? Narrow road, wide road. Wise, foolish. Right? And in this case, in this case, your identity is either your sin or your Savior. It's not both. It's one or the other. It's not neither. It's one or the other. And he gives it to us to choose. That's the beauty of it. That's the, the beauty of God. So we move on. So, yeah, so I should have had this picture up there, but la I want to I take a minute and talk about that whole, that really mystical word that the Bible throws through there. I shouldn't have said mystical. That, that word, that, that, that word of believe in for a minute. Because I do this, I do this. Y'all heard this before? I do this. Um, it's really important to me because I fell into this. This part of my testimony. I fell, I fell into this, this trap of, you know, getting the whole believe in thing wrong. So if you remember last week, um, Adam put a picture of Michael Jordan on the screen. I didn't, put, I didn't do the picture of Michael Jordan. But, um, so Michael Jordan, right? One of the greatest, if not the greatest basketball player ever. I remember watching him play. I never got to see him play in person. Wish I had a, but didn't. Um, anyway, you know, it is, it is possible. It, it is possible to know every single thing about Michael Jordan. Every, every game he played, the, the points that he made, his wins and his losses, how many championships, how many MVPs he got. You can know it all. You can know where he lives. You can know who his wife is. You know who his kids are. You can know their names. Um, 
You can, you can go drive by, visit, if you can get close, whatever. You can, you can see him in public and never know him. Never know him. Never have met him. Never have a relationship with him. Okay? Never have a relationship with him. That is a concept, an intellectual concept that I like to call believe that. Believe that. But believe in is not head knowledge. You can know everything the Bible says about Jesus and still be lost. You can read the Bible every day of your life and still be lost. Okay? Salvation only occurs when what's in your head takes a trip to your heart. That is the difference between believing that something is there and believing in something. You will, never come to, you will never come to a saving relationship with Jesus until you believe in Him. Believe that is important. I think you need to have an element of believe that in everything you do. You need to know who the guy is. You need to know the backstory. You need to, know, you need to get to know Him. But at the end of the day, it's not just knowing the facts about it. It's having the relationship with Him. And the relationship is, you start with the facts, but you don't end with the facts. That was me. I, I, did, the check, I did the checklist, you know. Um, you know. Prayed the prayer, walked the aisle, got baptized, did communion, went on youth trips, whatever, whatever. Did it all. I was as lost as as lost could be. Until I was 38 years old. 38 years old. Um, now I'm going to give a, the best illustration I can give on the two concepts, though, before we move on. Imagine you're standing on top of a very big building, very tall building. And there is a wire stretched a football field away on another really tall building. And you're up there with a crowd of people. You're up there with a crowd of people. And there's a tightrope walker up there. And he says, do you believe that I can walk across these buildings? And, you know, you don't say anything. He said, well, before you answer, just let me show you. So he blindfolds himself, and he walks across the tightrope to the other building. Then he turns around and comes back. Then he says, do you believe I can do it again? Well, yeah. You know, you just watched him do it. You just watched him do it. So he said, well, let, let's up the ante a little bit. So he grabs a wheelbarrow, and he takes a wheelbarrow. He says, do you believe I can push this wheelbarrow across the building? Cross. He said, yeah, probably. So he goes, and he comes back, and he says, do you believe I can do it again? You say, yeah, sure, I believe you can do it again. And he looks at you, and he says, get in the wheelbarrow. Get in the wheelbarrow. That's believe in. Until you get in the wheelbarrow, you've not trusted him. You've not believed in him. You've not risked anything. You've just walked a guy, watched a guy walk across a rope. You get in the wheelbarrow. It's personal now. He is your best friend. For the, for the five minutes it takes to go up back and forth, he is your, you are in his hands. What he does determines your destiny. That's what believe in is. Until you get there, you're just sitting at believe that. All of us are in one of those two camps. We're either working our way to God or trusting Jesus' work to bring us to God. It'll never be both. Your identity 
It's either your identity or your sin. It's either your identity is either your sin or your Savior. So then in verse 6, then in verse 6, um, Paul name drops, name drops, drops another name, David. Um, we'll talk a little bit about David. We're going to speed date with David just a minute. But in verse 6, it says, Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. So, in the Hebrew faith, they had, I mean, they had a, bunch, a bunch of big names, but you, you got four that really stick out. You got, you got Abraham, you got Moses, you got David, and you got Elijah. Now, if you, if you, if you fast forward to Jesus, transfiguration, Moses, and Elijah, okay? The, the, they, they knew these guys. Um, they were really big in their faith. They were really big cornerstones of the Jewish faith. So when he brings up David, every, everybody in the room knows exactly who David is. He was so important to the Jewish people that Jerusalem was actually called the city of David, still to this day, called the city of David. Um, David wrote psalms, he wrote prayers. Uh, the, the book of Psalms is, by and large, David. Um, he wrote worship songs. He was a musician, played a harp, musician. Um, but he also was a shepherd. And, and in, his, in his kid years, teenage years probably, this little shepherd boy was out protecting the sheep, and he would actually kill, he'd fight off lions, tigers, wolves, he'd, he'd kill them. Um, then, then, you know, you, you fast forward to, uh, you know, there's a battle going on, he runs into this guy named Goliath. See the picture on the screen? Every, if you've ever been through Sunday school, you've seen a picture like this, David and Goliath, right? And it's a great story. David walks through the Walks through and he gets his five stones and he gets, you know, all this. And he goes through the river and whatever, whatever. And he, you know, comes down and there's Goliath. And there, Goliath's taunting him and everything. And David puts the sling, puts the, the rock in the sling. And he, he kills the giant, right? Don't ever be deceived in that. David did not kill Goliath. God killed Goliath. He just let David be part of it. And in this, David started to build an incredible faith in God. He was anointed king. Uh, Saul wasn't working out. He was anointed king. He became a warrior. Not, not just a warrior. He was the most fierce warrior in the battle with the Philistines. Um, he was the most, then he became king. And God called him in 1 Samuel 13, 14, a man after his heart. That's what God called David. <laughs> and while Abraham lived 500 years before the law, David looked back 500 years at the law. So, <clears throat> David, given his entire resume of good works, strong works, he blew it. He blew it. You remember the story with Bathsheba, right? He um, ended up bringing another man's wife into his, to his home. He... he they create, they, they, he fathered a baby with her, had the, had the guy killed to cover it up. Uh, if, if you really stop and think about it, he probably committed nine, broke nine of the Ten Commandments. Probably all ten of them in that. He was a horrible father. Uh, if you ever read the story of Amnon and Tamar, David was a train wreck as a parent. Um, he disregarded God's word uh, when they were moving the Ark of the Covenant and the, the guy named Uzzah died. Um, he allowed polygamy to spread into Israel. His son Solomon was probably the worst 
was probably the, you know, just as worse, if not worse. And uh, telling you, basically tells you, you never sin alone. Your sin will always affect someone else. And sometimes, most of the time, the people who you love the most. That's who your sin affects the most. It would have been so easy for David to have allowed his sin to identify him. Instead of a man after his own heart, he would have been the man that messed everything up. But David was identified by a Savior, not by his sin. If you read Psalm 51, I'm not going to read Psalm 51, verse 1 and 2. That is his um, psalm of repentance from the, the, Beth, the Bathsheba um, sin, that he, the sin with Bathsheba. He, he, he re- cries out for mercy. He, uh, he begs God to blot out his transgression. Uh, he, he pleads to God to stay in his presence, to restore the joy of salvation. Um, he, he comes to God with a broken and contrite spirit. And then he later, in Psalm 32, which is quoted in the next two verses, he actually confesses that sin. And he says these words, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whom the Lord will count, does not count his sin. We'll read that again. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count sin. Nowhere in there, nowhere in there is David claiming that he can make it up to God. He realizes his works are meaningless. In fact, his works are what put him where he was. And only by faith can he be forgiven of anything. The Old Testament, the Old Testament always points to faith, not good works for deeds or deeds, as a path you can be justified to God. Um, God specializes in cleaning up our messes. God specializes in cleaning up your mess. Because I know he specialized in cleaning up mine. It it always amazes me how God shows up. And and when you don't don't even expect him. I mean, he just shows up. Sometimes you don't even know you're in a mess. Have you ever been there? Not even know you're in a mess. We're so blind sometimes, so ignorant of where we're at and who we are, that we're just going around spinning our wheels, and we don't even realize that we're in the mess we're in. And we wake up one day, and we're in a mess. And we wonder, how in the world do we get in this mess? Well, you get in this mess because you start trusting you and not God. That's me, anyway. Um... We all want God's blessing. We all do. We all want God's blessing. Can you think of a better blessing than not have your sins counted against you? That's where David was. That's where he was. Can you think of a blessing better than not having your sins counted against you? So, as we kind of wrap this up and turn the corner on Serial number one of this. My question to you is, where's your identity? My question to me is, where's my identity? I'll never ask you a question I won't ask myself. Is your identity in your past, your trash, your junk, your sin? Or is it in your Savior? 
Do you, like me, carry around baggage that holds you down? I've been carrying baggage all week. I've never been, I've never been, I've never been through a week like this. I'll be honest, I'm just getting personal. I've never been through a week like this. I, it's been up and down. I've struggled with a sinus thing all week. Um, I've, I can't tell you the number of times I went to Ginger and said, I can't do this. I'm not going to do it. Can't do it. Not going to do it. Can't do it. <clears throat> um, she talked me down. You know, I talked to Connor about it. I talked to the kid. The, kid. the kids have been giving me grief all week. Mitchell's written four songs. <laughs> it's been a mess. It's been a mess. But I do. I carry baggage around. I carry baggage from my past. I carry baggage from my brain. It's, not, it's endless. It really is. It's endless. Endless. Has the baggage you have become so normal in your life that you can't think of taking another step without it, but every time you take a step with it, you scream. It's, you, it's that you take, that every, every step you take seems to scream at you that you're unlovable and unsavable. Guilty as charged. If that's you, you're not alone. I relate to it. We have people here who relate to it. The beauty of the gospel is this. You don't have to let your sin define you. Today, by God's grace alone, through faith alone and Christ alone, you can stop letting what you've done define you and you let Jesus redefine you. You let Jesus redefine you. So... I'm going to present the gospel to you today. I'm always going to do that, but I'm going to present it to you today in a way I the only way I can. I'm going to share with you when the first time God woke me up to the gospel. I'd been in church all my life. My grandmother took me to church every Sunday. Um, First Baptist Church, Haines City, Florida. <clears throat> um, so, but I wasn't a Christian. I did the checklist. I checked the boxes. I wasn't saved. I would have argued with you. God, I, listen, I'm, I, this is not bragging, but I'm a smart guy. I can read the book. I read the book. I knew what the book said. I could manipulate what it said. I could convince you and I convinced me that I was as saved as saved could be. I was as lost as lost could be. Um, that went through with me until I was, like I said, I was 38 years old when I finally repented and gave my life to Jesus. That's been, my gosh, it's been, it's been, eight, been whatever, 16 years, 18 years, 18 years. But I will never forget, you have, those, you have those moments in your life that you never forget, we all do, right? If you were, alive, if you were around in, 2000, in 2001, you remember where you were on September 11th, you remember. You have those moments you never forget. This is one of them. It was the, try to get through this. Keep doing that. It was November 30th, 2004. Right about 11-ish. Nurse put my boy Caleb in my hand. Put my boy Caleb. I take nothing away from Keaton. I love Keaton. Keaton. I met Keaton. <laughs> yeah, I love Keaton. I could not love Keaton more. Keaton is my kid. 
Um, I met Keaton when he was three years old. He's my kid. He's my child. Um, it is amazing how alike we are. I tell him this all the time. I have absolutely no genetic contribution to you, but it's amazing how alike we are. When God put Caleb in my hands, I realized in that moment, I would not give that child away. Not one soul. I wouldn't give Keith for anyone. I wouldn't give Mitchell for anyone. I wouldn't give Carly for anyone. If that's your plan, if you find yourself in a situation in life where you need me to sacrifice my child for you, you are doomed. It's not happening. I hope you have a better path. Not only that, if Caleb came to me, any of them came to me and said, Dad, I love this person, these people, enough that I want to sacrifice my life for them, I would do everything I could to stop them. Everything. Thank God in heaven I am not God. He not only allowed his son to leave heaven for me and you, but he set it up. Orchestrated. He was there with him the whole way. That's how valuable you are to God. Doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't. You listen, your rap sheet will never equal David's. Your rap sheet won't equal Abraham's. It won't. You don't have it in you. They were not nice people. But they were saved. God showed up and changed their eternity in a moment. God saved them. And He can save you too. If that's you in this room, if you're an unbeliever in this room, okay, God refuses to sit by and let our sin, our sin identify us. Rather, he allowed his child to leave heaven so that we could be identified in Jesus and his righteousness. That's you. You're here in this room and you don't know Jesus. You may have woken up that way today, but you do not have to go to bed that way. You can change that today. I'm going to give you an opportunity here in a minute. Um, give you an opportunity in a minute to respond to the gospel. Before I do, I want to read one last thing. I, like I say, it's amazing how God shows up sometimes. Sometimes you're not even looking for it. And um, God gave, God, I found this song kind of, um, I'm not going to sing for you. You'll appreciate that later. Matt, Jeff, I should have had Connor sing it. But, um, um, sometimes, you know, you just, sometimes you just go through the motions in life, right? And I was at this, uh, I was at this uh, this dance thing that I didn't really want to be at, but I went because uh, the person who was in the dance thing was really really special to me and really, really special to my kid. And there was a song they played. It's, it's, it's a song by Mercy Me, and it goes like this. I'm just, I'm gonna quote the first sign, the first the first uh, verse of it. There's got to be more than going back and forth from doing right to doing wrong. Because we're taught that's who we are. 
Come on, get in line right behind me. You along with everybody, thinking there's worth in what you do. When like a hero who takes the stage, when we're on the edge of our seat saying it's too late, well, let me introduce you to amazing grace. No matter the bumps, no matter the bruises, no matter the scars, still the truth is, the cross has made, the cross can make you flawless. No matter the hurt or how deep the wound is, no matter the pain, still the truth is the cross has made, the cross has made you flawless. Are you flawless today? If not, become flawless. As we bow our heads and our close our eyes, I'm just going to ask you, if you're sitting here, you're wrestling with God, um, you're in good company. If it's all been uh, spinning your wheels, um, if it's all been spinning your wheels, if it's all been a joke, a, you know, a show, I get it, man, been there. But uh, here in a minute, I'm going to count to three and just real simple, like we do at rest. There's really no magic to it, but you respond outwardly to what God's doing inwardly. Um, it kind of kind of knits things together. So I'm on a count of three, I'm going to ask you, if you just... If that's you, you want to have somebody come talk to you, you want to have somebody pray with you, you want to meet Jesus for the first time, when I get to three, just raise your hand and uh, make sure I see you and um, we, will, we will come minister to you. Uh, one, God loves you. Two, you'll never be the same. Three, just raise your hand if that's you. Got somebody in the back right here. So, now I'm going to talk to the rest of you, believers. That this is not just a, this is not just a message for lost people. Your works will never earn God's approval. Your relationship with God is what He's wanting. Focus on that relationship. Live in flawlessness before Him. Realize that when He looks at you, He does not see your baggage. He does not see your dirt. He doesn't see your mistakes. He sees His kid. My daughter could have brought me a, a plate of the worst cookies on earth, but I would have loved them and I would have treasured them because she's my kid. She's my kid. If that's you, if you've been struggling, spinning your wheels, trying to earn God's favor, repent. Grab and trust. Grab and trust in the blessing of repentance that God gives you. If you're carrying baggage around you don't need to carry drop it let it go just let it go and trust in the relationship you have with your God and your Savior so I'm going to turn this over to the praise team I'm going to pray for you guys and um, there'll be people here at the front to, if you need someone to pray with someone to talk to um, just Father in heaven we thank you for today 
Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for this family that you have put here in front of us at Rest Church. Thank you for what they mean to me. In Jesus' name, amen.